How do I price a job for a customer? Are you starting your own company and now you have to provide pricing? Or you were recently promoted to a role where estimating will be one of the functions required for that position? That is the subject for today's show. Welcome to the show where we tackle the tough questions submitted by installers, project managers, estimators, IT personnel, and customers. On this show, we connect at the human level so that we can connect the world. If you're watching this podcast on YouTube and you like this content, would you please hit the subscribe button and the bell button to be notified when new shows are being published? If you're listening to this podcast on one of the platforms like iTunes, Stitchers, or one of the other platforms, Would you mind leaving us a rating? Hopefully a five-star rating. Both of those steps help us take on the algorithm so that we can get our message out to more people. We can educate, encourage, and enrich the lives of even more people. Also, make sure that you join our live after-hours multi-stream broadcast where we answer your questions live on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and also TikTok on Thursday nights at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Questions submitted early get via get extra preference, and you can send them to me either through direct message, emails, at questions at letstalkcabling.com, and they always get a preference. Finally, while we provide this content free of charge, and always will, if you would like to support this channel and you have access to additional information, check out our QR code on the screen. You can buy me a cup of coffee. You can schedule one-on-one time with me. You can get a 15-minute Zoom call. You can become a Patreon member, and there's additional benefits as well. You can even visit our Amazon link page on the website and look at some of the project, some of the products that we buy. Don't worry, if you buy something off that Amazon page, you won't pay any extra for it, but I do get a small stipend off that if you do purchase that product. As I mentioned, I get questions all the time. How do I price a job? Well, my answer typically is, well, it depends. There are too many variables when it comes to estimating a job. Are there prints? Do you have time to walk the site? Is it a competitive bid scenario? Is it, a, is it government work? Is it going to require a prevailing wage? These are all things that go into pricing a project that can affect the time and the amount of price it's going to cost to be for that customer. And that list goes on and on and on. There's so much material to cover here that this is going to be a two-part series. In the first episode, I'm going to discuss what it takes to be a good estimator. And this is going to apply to you whether you're pricing your own projects for your own company or if you're applying for the position of estimator. Part two of this episode, I will discuss the mechanics of estimating. I've had many positions in this industry, and one of my favorite was that of an estimator. You get to design cable plants, and if you're lucky enough, you get to see your cable plants being installed. First, let's start off with the benefits of being an estimator. My favorite part is you get to be creative. There are so many ways to install, support, and build out any given ICT project. If you like doing jigsaw puzzles, this is the job for you. You will have to come up with a design that meets the customer's needs, even when that customer can't define those needs themselves. More on that later. 
The first couple of estimates, though, you will probably suffer from severe anxiety. And I would argue that even after you get good at estimating, if you lose that fear of what did I miss? Well, you've become complacent and you're prone to making mistakes. You better double check yourself. While I'm talking about mistakes, let me set the record straight. Every estimate that goes out the door has a mistake in it. That's why it's called an estimate. If you're estimating the bill of materials and the consumables and the labor, the other direct costs, the overhead, the margin, the markup, those keys to keep those mistakes to a minimum. I know of an estimator who forgot to price the backbone portion of a multi-story project once. That mistake was valued to be about twenty dollars to $30,000 mistake. If you're a small company, a mistake like that can wipe you out of business. If you are a dedicated estimator, and by that mean someone who is, that's all you do is you estimate projects. You don't project manage, you don't train. You will be working on several bids all at once. And each of those bids will be at different phases of the estimate. One bid might just have come in the door. Another bid, you might have to still read the request for quote or request for proposal. The RFQ is a document that gets sent to you by the customer that details what they want to be done. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're accurate, more often than not, they suck. And you have to figure everything out from reading that RFP. Another bid you may have may be in the past that stage where you've already read that RFP, RFQ, and you've already created that bill of materials, and you've sent it out to pricing, and you're waiting for distribution to send it back. Because quite often, you're going to be sending that pricing out to three different manufacturers, three different distribution outlets, to get the most competitive price. Another bid, you may be still writing the proposal. You're always working on something different, even within the same day. You have to be able to shift gears quickly and make adjustments multiple times throughout the day when you become an estimator. The key is you have to be good at time management and you have to know when you come up to a stopping point exactly where you can pick up another bid that you were working on previously easily and run with it. A great benefit to being an estimator is you can literally work on a bid anywhere. Now, this was even before COVID. So now I'd imagine that this option is opened up even more. I used to bring home prints at night to do my rake-offs and count all the drops. That way I wouldn't miss my son's games. I would borrow my kids' highlighters from their backpacks, their school backpacks, and sometimes I'd even let them help me color the color the prints. And I would have them double-check their work and make sure that they did it correctly. But again, it's part of still being able to part of that family and be able to estimate at home. Because it wasn't their us that was on the line if something was done wrong. It was mine. So you better double-check everything if you have your kids help you. Just saying. If you're an installer, a lead technician, a foreman, even a project manager, a good chunk of your project or your time is going to be spent on the project or maybe at the office. That's one of the benefits of being the estimator. You can do your job from nearly anywhere. The only time you don't have to do that is if you're meeting with a customer on a job site to do a walkthrough or a bid walkthrough. Being an estimator gives you a lot of flexibility. As with anything, there are negatives associated with it as well. And being an estimator is not excluded from this. The biggest thing, the thing that I hated the most, was if anything goes wrong with the job, you 
the estimator, are going to be the first person thrown under the bus. Well, you know, the estimator did it wrong. Right? Even when that's not the case. Keep in mind, remember I told you, every estimate that's sent to a customer has a mistake in it. Somewhere. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'll give you a quick example. I was once a division estimator for a large communications company that had six offices across the eastern seaboard. Our estimator in the North Carolina office was overwhelmed with bids, and they asked me to help so we could take some of the bids off his plate. One of those bids that I estimated, we won. When the crew went out to install the cable, they ran out before they ran out of drops. Of course, they went to the area manager, and they told her, Well, you know, the estimator didn't give us enough cable. When they brought me into the discussion, I have to admit, my first initial thought was, I made a mistake. Especially with our crews. Our crews in North Carolina, that staff, was top-notch. So I thought for sure I made a mistake. So I scheduled a call with them to discuss the project. When we had our meeting, I asked if any of the major cable pathways on the site were different from the ones that I marked on the bid drawings. Now, the LeTAC did confirm that they did use a different hallway because one of those hallways they'd used, the electricians had used to run a large amount of electrical cables from, and they were concerned about running their cables down that hallway because of the potential sources of EMI, and rightfully so. But when I bid the project, the electrical drawings showed the electricians using a different hallway as being used, which is why I chose the one that I did, and I documented it by drawing the red lines on the hallways where I estimated the cables. When the crew used the other hallway, the cable runs were longer, and hence the project was short on cable. In this scenario, pro tip number one, document, document, and document. And pro tip number two, communicate, communicate, and communicate would have easily resolved this issue at the beginning of the project. By the way, this was just cause for a legitimate change order. Had we had that communications at the beginning of the project, we might have been able to resolve that quicker. Another challenge of being an estimator are deadlines. Customers will never give you enough time to price a job, it seems. One of my favorite responses to customers when they would ask me about deadlines, I would tell them, the more time you give me to estimate this project, the more accurate my price is going to be and probably the cheaper my price is going to be. If you don't give me enough time, I'm going to be heavy with my labor hours. I'm going to be heavy with my materials to help compensate for the quick turnaround for the bid to make sure that we didn't lose anything. When you throw in this mix, a series of requests for information. A request for information is when there's something in the RFP that's not clearly stated and you send a customer a question in a documented manner that when they respond, it comes back as part of the contract document. That's a request for information. So that cut when they respond back, it takes time. And now the funny thing is, is the customer never gives you extra time because you've hit, you've hit them with a couple RFIs. That deadline is still the deadline. You have to be able to function under pressure and make as few mistakes to zero as you can get. And lastly, you would think that the customer would supply you with the, the best drawings, the best RFP with all the required information so that you can bid accurately. Nope. I can count on one hand the number of times I was impressed by the depth, the accuracy, and the completeness 
of a request for proposal. Most of the time, our drawings are usually several revisions behind that of what the general contractor has, and many times the RFP would have copy and paste issues where they used an old request for proposal from another project and then literally would copy and paste the text from the old bid into the request for proposal for the new bid, and then they didn't proofread it. It's called proofreading, people. Do it. For those of you who are writing requests for proposals, sending them out to contractors, read through it before you attach send or hit send on the email. Those mistakes would cause you to generate a request for information. And like I said before, that request for information slows down the process of the entire bid project. And on top of that, now you have to track the statuses of all those requests for information, along with everything else that you're already tracking on that bid, the, the material pricing, the labor pricing, and where you are on that project. So hopefully I haven't scared you off from being an estimator. It is a very rewarding and a very terrorizing at the same times. Let's shift the conversation now to what skills you're going to need to be a good estimator. First, you will need to be a great listener. Listen to what the customer is telling you. Pay close attention to the words that they use. Words have meanings. If they tell you to go ground the rack instead of bonding the rack, generally, those are two different things. And you better be sure that you understand what they want. And you better clarify that with exactly with what they want to do. And you do that, again, remember pro tip number one, document, document, document. You send them a request for information and you have them clarify that. That way you price exactly what it is that they want. That ties back with the, the more time you give me, the more accurate my price will be. When having conversations with customers, whether you're doing it either face-to-face or even on a phone call, take notes. When you get done having that meeting and you get back to the office, send a confirming email back to the customer with your understandings of what was under was spoken about on that conversation and your understandings and send that to the customer and ask them to please confirm that your understanding is correct. And if it's not correct, to please explain further where you were wrong, because sometimes you will make mistakes. Clarify, document, communicate. You also have to be detail-oriented. That doesn't mean that you have to put down every nut, bolt, washer, and so on. Although, your price will be better if you did. An estimating tip is to create kits. For example, if I was pricing into putting in a two-post rack, I would create a mounting kit for the floor. I could literally price putting in four drop-in anchors, four fender washers, four bolts, and four lock washers. That would take up several lines on a spreadsheet. Or I could create a kit that has the accumulated cost for all those pieces, and I'm only using up one line for those items. That's called a kit. You can use it on almost anything. It's a great way to help capture consumables, which we'll talk about in more in episode two. Now, the key here is, you better come up with a well-researched price for four of each of those things that I just told you, right? The, the drop-in anchor, the bolt, the fender washer, and the lock and washer. And you should periodically check those prices just to make sure that they haven't gone up. 
especially in a time like right now where material pricing is fluctuating so much. You'd be verifying your prices more frequently in a time like now than you would in a time before COVID because material pricing always seems to be shifting right now. Again, this is also going to use less space in your spreadsheet or your estimating software because now you're only entering in one light item because it's a kit instead of those four or five line items separately. By the way, your project manager will be thankful for that because now they, it's already broken down into one unit for them to track instead of having to have combine them down into a unit to be able to track those individual units. Speaking of detail-oriented, it goes with racking off the prints as well. You better know what each symbol is on that print, and you better have counted for all of them. And you better double-check, you better triple-check, you better quadruple-check. On top of being a good listener, you also better be a good writer. Now, I don't mean you're going to have to write poems and essays and books, but you have to be able to write in a manner that your customer will clearly understand what it is that you are describing to them. Remember, not every customer is going to be an engineer. Some of them are going to be IT people. Some of them are going to be an office administrator who knows nothing about what you're pricing. Now, this sounds simpler than it really is. And this is there's an R form to this. And it's going to take you a while to perfect this. Now, templates work great here to help speed up this process as well. But don't be that estimator who copy and paste errors just like the people did with the request for proposal. Proof, read your projects. You also had better be good with math. You will have to calculate labor, hours, parts, markup, and margin. By the way, those are two different things. And this is going to require you to be good at addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. But I can hear you now. Chuck, I'm going to be using a spreadsheet. I'm going to be using estimating software. I don't have to be good at math. Yes, you do. You still have to be able to look at that and know when something just doesn't seem like it's calculated right. Errors happen all the time in spreadsheets. Speaking of spreadsheets, you better have more than just a working knowledge of spreadsheets. You better know how to create tables. You better know how to write formulas, perform calculations, if statements to make your job a little bit easier, and don't even get me started on pivot tables, right? Because you're going to need to know how to really set up spreadsheets to make your job easier. If you don't have a lot of these experiences with spreadsheets that I just mentioned, you might want to investigate into getting some evening classes on how to create spreadsheets. Trust me, you'll be better for it in the long run. Even if your company uses estimating software packages, you are the last safety check on that price before it goes out the door. Don't become complacent just because that software says that it's the price. If it doesn't feel right, investigate it until you find out either what the problem is or the justification as to why that price is so high. I'll give you an example. When we did a pricing one time, when I was an estimator in Orlando, and our national accounts group wanted us to price a project to put in a few cables in Miami. When we sent the pricing to the project manager for national accounts, all they knew was it cost X amount of dollars per cable to install. And when our price was more than that, they questioned us. Well, our price was higher because, in case you don't know this, it's about a four-hour drive from, from Orlando 
to Miami. So there was travel time and hotel expenses. So like I said, either figure out why it's wrong or have a better understanding why your price is high and be able to communicate that. There's that C word again and document it somewhere in that estimating process. Here are some other skills that you better be good at as well when you want to become an estimator. You have to have the ability and drive to work unsupervised because you'll be working by yourself quite often. You also have to be able to work with teams such as engineers, management, field staff, distribution, local sales reps. Right? Everybody is a project stakeholder in this, and you're going to be the middleman in all of this. You should also be current on your code and the local nuances for your area. You also better be current in these standards. You also should have the ability to understand, follow standard operating policies and procedures that were set up by your company. You need to understand all of the components for the ICT cable plant. Not necessarily every manufacturer, but you need to know that a cable needs a connector on the end of it. And that connector has to plug into a faceplate. So you have to have a general understanding of it. That's why your people from the field make your best estimators. The, the difficulty to come over with that is the computer side of it, getting them to be comfortable with spreadsheets and writing. They're good at coming up with pieces and parts. You also need to understand how the site conditions are going to affect your pricing. Remember what I, the example that I gave you about that North Carolina just a few minutes ago? You have to have the ability to read and interpret blueprints and engineering design and drawings. And also, that request for proposal may be written by an engineer. So you might have to be able to read at that level. You also need the ability to meet the customer's needs and expectations and their requirements, even if they don't have the ability to do it well. You better be good at time management because you're going to have to prioritize managing multiple tasks and changing priorities as it's necessary. You better be able to work under pressure and adapt to changing requirements and do this all with a positive attitude. So how did you do through this assessment? Do you feel free? Do you feel confident that you have what it takes to become an estimator? Or do you feel like you might be short and there's one or more things that we just discussed today that you need to kind of be better at before you want to become an estimator? If you tell me that you're short at something, that tells me you might make a good estimator. The person who says, I, I got all that, I'm comfortable with that, most of the time, that's not the person that I want to have estimating my projects because they're too complacent. Make sure you stay tuned for part two where we talk about the mechanics of estimating. We're talking about actually how to estimate a project. Until next time, remember, knowledge is power. That's it for this episode of today's podcast. We hope you were able to learn something. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future content. Also, leave a rating so we can help even more people learn about telecommunications. Until next time, be safe.